Have you ever had somebody keep you from something that would harm you or tell you something that you shouldn't do and last second you decide not to do it? Have you ever been saved from death, something that could harm you? I was pretty young and in a wave pool, which I thought I could handle and thought I was a good swimmer, but got a mouthful of water and all of a sudden was in a position where I couldn't get above the water. My dad was in the water and I have this image of him and this embarrassing moment because there were other kids there that I thought I could impress with my ability to go in the deep end and do all this stuff. And the whole wave pool got stopped because of me. But this image of my dad holding me up as high as he could with his head underwater. And as the wave would recede, he was yelling, help, help. And he's holding me up. I'll never forget that image. Kept me from harm. Today's story is one you've probably heard. It's Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira. If there was ever a time for people to go to these two and say, no matter what you do, don't go to church today. It's a bad day to go to, just don't do what you were planning on doing. Just get sick. You're sick, Ananias. Stay home. It didn't happen though. And we're going to see the consequences of what happened. Let me set the scene. You just kind of saw there in our bumper video. It's exciting. They're going out. The church has begun. There's movement. The gospel is in their hands. They have the risen Lord Jesus doing miracles. There are people coming to know him. Their numbers are growing. People are doing crazy things like selling their own stuff, giving it to the church, wanting to see God's kingdom come. They're filled with the Spirit. We met Barnabas last week. If you were here, he was filled with the Spirit of God. He walks up to Peter and John, led by the Spirit of Jesus, stands there. In his hand, he holds a bag full of coins, money that he just got from selling property. And I want you to picture him standing there beaming at his face, tossing it on the ground. You can hear the coins clink and clank together as they land on the ground. And he says this, Jesus asked me to do this. And it is my joy to give it. I'm not doing this because I feel guilty or I feel ashamed. I want to do this. May his kingdom come. And people are watching it happen and others are doing the same thing. He's pumped. He's happy. Obedience to Jesus can do that. It has that effect. Giving to Jesus can do that. If there's a soundtrack for this portion of scripture, it is high momentum, victory, pretty sound, something you can dance to. Everybody's pumped. This is like, it's just awesome. And then all of a sudden, this low single note on a cello gets pulled across the page and it's in a minor key and it's dark and it's sinister and it's Acts chapter five, verse one. But whenever you see that word in the Bible, pay attention. Usually it means something amazing has happened or something terrible has happened. But a man named Ananias 
with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge, kept back for himself some of the proceeds, brought only a part of it, laid it at the apostles' feet. Before we jump into those specific details, first things first, there's no perfect church. This is the first church. It's the only church. And guess what? It's not perfect. It's difficult. And I want to give you a definition of a good church. A good church will have people at a hundred different places of maturity and immaturity. And all of those people will need Jesus. The leaders will need Jesus. The leaders, the church will make mistakes if they are responding to Jesus. They'll own those things. They'll get back up. They'll dust themselves off and they'll say, we blew it. Let's try again. That is what it means to be the church. We're growing. We're not perfect right here. We have some people who you think, and most commentators would say this, they're a part of this church. They believe in Jesus. And here they are, uh-oh, doing something bad. And it's not a fun moment. Churches will have people who need Jesus, not people who are perfect and the church will always be right on the edge, if it's a good church, of a battle. And this is where the curtain is pulled back. And it's not, wow, this isn't just a Sunday social club. No, life and death is on the line. We are right here at the edge of the battle. And this church has a regular attender. In fact, he loves to attend church. He knows the Bible better than you. He knows the way church structure, church growth works. When it comes to you taking a step to be in a small group or something, he'd say, sure, go ahead. Be in a small group. That'd be great. Go ahead, give your money. Go ahead, serve. Yeah, that'd be awesome. He sits week after week in church. He loves to attend church. He has one goal, destroy it. No, he's not out there in the dark. He and his minions and demons love to be right in the middle of it. Who am I talking about? Satan. Yes, an enemy, a real enemy. So what has Satan been doing as the church has been growing? He's watching them. He is disgusted by their joy. He hates it. He hates them. He hates you. When he sees things going well in the church, you know what he thinks? I got to stop it. I got to stop it. So he tries things. He has schemes, plans, methods, strategies for your life. He has power. He has weapons. He has legions of demons at his command. And he has people sometimes to help him pull this off. So, He's done a lot of things in the Bible, but let's just talk about the last few weeks in the text. He had Judas. He thought, man, this is perfect. Inside guy knows Jesus. He's going to pull this thing off. This is going to be great. We're going to finish this whole thing. That didn't work out. He had the cross. When he saw Jesus, the son of God, pinned to the cross and die, he thought, yes, over. Well, that didn't work out. Resurrection happened. So then this church is starting and he wants to discourage them. And so he uses the religious leaders to discourage them, even to persecute them, to arrest them. And as we found out last week, well, that didn't work out. 
So he gathers his fellow minions and demons, and they hold a meeting in the shadows, and they speak to each other. We need somebody on the inside. We need somebody that looks like them, virtually indistinguishable from the normal churchgoer, from the normal Christian. We need somebody who will act like them, who will do the things they do. They won't know the difference. They won't see it coming. They will think he's one of them. They will think she's one of them. This might work. What we see on the surface, two people making a stupid and man, sin brings all kinds of stupid, doesn't it? It makes us stupid. What we think is just on the surface, random incident could be handled quickly. A simple mistake of envy and pretense. The Holy Spirit has included this story in the New Testament, which seems like it fits in the Old Testament, doesn't it? Those stories happened all the time in the Old Testament. But here? Really? New church? I thought this was the New Deal. The Holy Spirit includes it in Luke's gospel. Why? Because it is a counterattack. Satan has been watching victory after victory after victory, and people are growing. People are coming to the church, and he's like, we have to stop it. Fight back. And let's do it in a subtle way. You know, when we think about our own sin, it's easy to lie to ourselves and think that it, eh, it doesn't really affect anybody else. Just small stuff, right? Just affects me. The Bible says, eh, it's a lot bigger than that. Ephesians 6, you may know this verse, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That includes ourselves. But against the rulers, principalities, authorities, and powers of this dark world. Wow. Demons, devils, fallen angels. So what do we have? We have a frightened, angry, and motivated enemy who will do everything he can to stop the momentum of the gospel and your growth in Jesus. And how he pulls this off? Subtle, deceptive, at times invisible, like a virus, like a cancer cell, maybe through a person. Innocent, looks exactly like everyone else. So in the book of Acts, we have Barnabas, buys, sells a piece of property, brings the money, lays it at the apostles' feet. Ananias sells a piece of property, brings the money, lays it. At, oh, wait a minute. You see the contrast already. Two people, but one of them is a liar. One walks in the light, one walks and trades in the dark. And where there are lies and deception, there is smoke. And where there is smoke, there is fire. Our words almost always strike the match. James, the brother of Jesus, who at one time didn't believe in him, okay, said this, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Whew, really? Just my words. Yeah, just your words. I was a pretty good liar when I was a kid. I was a really good liar, actually. New Year's Eve, I was eight years old. And my mom handed me something that I was not allowed to touch, usually. A book of matches. And we had some of those paper plates that they're so flimsy, like one piece of chicken will cause the thing to fall. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> those white, white plates. We had different colored candles. 
and we had matches. And for an eight-year-old boy, it's like, what? And she goes, yeah, you just take it off, you strike it, and then you light the candle. And I was like, candles, plates, I don't care. What did you just do with that match? You mean like, I mean, I feel like I was like just dealing with forbidden treasure. I pulled that match off. I struck it in that smell of sulfur and that eruption of flame. And I lit that candle and I was like, happy new year. (laughs) This is awesome. And then we would drip little drops of colors and make these designs. But I was like, oh man, mine just blew out again. Guess I'll have to light another match. I must have, I lit so many matches. It was awesome. Fire. The next day, forget the plates, forget the napkin, forget the, the candles, but I kept the matches. Oh, yeah. And I was walking around the yard by myself. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> by myself. <laughs> it's just the greatest thing in the world. I went inside the house. I went upstairs into the bathroom in secret. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) Threw in the trash. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) Threw in the trash. My mom yells from downstairs my name, and she's a good Southern lady, and so my name isn't Chad. It's Chad. (laughs) Two syllables. I was like, yeah? You smell smoke? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm literally holding the match. (laughs) She comes upstairs. Are you sure? <coughs> yeah. In the trash can, there's like 15 matches. <laughs> I didn't burn down the house, but man, I got lit up <laughs> myself. Innocent, childlike mistake, little lie, or set on fire by hell and tracing all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the original sin. Bible would say that one. Well, what's the big deal? It's just a little lie. What's the cost of something like that? Could burn the house down. Didn't. My relationship with my mom, I'm only eight, but would that cause some hairline fractures between the way we interacted? What if I did that for the next 10 years (laughs) as her son? She could never trust that what I would say would be true. Would that bring more than hairline fractures? Could that bring a break? What if I carry that deception into my college years? What if I carry it into my job? How about my marriage with my children? Destruction? Burn it all down, baby. Burn it all down with one simple tongue that is set on fire by hell. So, big deal? Yeah. Yeah. What was Ananias' sin, though? Look at verse 2 again. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you may be like, well, you better give more. I guess that's maybe what he's saying. It doesn't have anything to do with the money. Nothing to do with the money. That word for kept back, it's only used like two other times in the Bible. And one of them is in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 7, The Israelites are also kind of brand new. They're taking over different lands. We won't get into the whole conquest thing and how do we deal with violence and all that kind of stuff in the Old Testament. That's for another time. But they're doing their thing. They're going out there. They're winning. And then all of a sudden they start losing. 
And Joshua says, you are abandoning us, Lord. And God says, get up. There's sin in the camp. And what did it say? Achan took for himself some of the things that had been set aside for the Lord. And he kept back, same word, which you know what the word means? Embezzle, steal. He stole. It's the same word right here. He's stealing from the Lord. Our small sins are not small at all. What we're doing is we're participating in a counterattack against the kingdom of light, against the king. We are being used as an instrument of evil. So question, is there anything in your life hidden? We switched gears, didn't we? I'm not talking about money. Is there anything in your life, in your heart, Achan kept it hidden in his tent, in the ground, covered up? I don't know. I don't know why we're losing. Ananias and Sapphira just kept part of the money back, but it had everything to do with their heart. Is there anything hidden in your life or kept back from Jesus? Any place where you may be participating in a counter attack of the enemy. Is anybody uncomfortable with this? Me too. Me too. This is one of those stories. And God's word is supposed to do this for us. At times to encourage and to be like a blanket that's wrapped around our shoulders that says it's going to be okay. And at other times to be a knife, a surgeon's knife that is reaching down into the deepest places of our hurt and saying, how about that? Does that hurt? Yes, don't touch that uncomfortable. Well, hold on to your hat. It's going to be a little more uncomfortable. Here we go. Verse three, Peter said, Ananias, dude, why'd you do that? It's just, let's be better. Is that what he says? Mm -mm. Why has Satan filled your heart? I've never tried that in talking to another person. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. You have contrived this. Wait a minute. Satan or you? Yes. Why is it that Satan has filled your heart and you have contrived? You've not lied to man, but to God. So Peter asks him the question of questions. Why did you do this? Now, your mom or dad, if you did something when you were younger, they, that's the first question, right? Why did you do this? The second question was this. What do you have to say for yourself, young man? Peter doesn't say that part. He just lets the why hang right there. Does Ananias get a chance to say anything? We don't know. The text implies no. This was quick business. But if he did get to say something, I have an idea of what he might say. It's the oldest trick in the book, the book, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Just point the finger elsewhere. Ah, it's her. She gave me the fruit. And then she said, well, he deceived me. Satan made me do it. Satan made me do it. Doesn't actually seem far off from the text, does it? Peter actually said that. Satan's filled your heart. I know. Right there, verse three. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? I don't know. I'm sorry. You kind of want, you know, that's what you want. Something like that to be over. Wait a minute. Can Satan fill a heart the same way a holy, the Holy Spirit fills a heart? Can Satan fill the heart of a believer in Jesus 
I thought we were off limits. I thought we were locked up. How can Satan affect other people? You know, many scholars, if you read, study just a little bit about Ananias and Sapphira, they think they were both believers. It's easier to think the other, right? No, no, no. That's why they got judged because they didn't believe in Jesus. It says they were part of the church. They believed in what he had done. We aren't told what happens here, whether they got to speak, but can sin have consequences that might lead to death? Well, sure. Yeah, you make a decision to do something. There are emotional consequences. There are relational consequences. And yes, sometimes you could be killed. We know that happens. Does Satan tempt people? Well, he tempted Jesus. So yeah, for sure. He definitely tempts. How does that work? How does that happen? Not exactly sure, but let's talk about what we do know about him. How much credit should Satan get for your bad behavior? First of all, he's a creature. That whole Star Wars thing of the dark side and the force is not a thing in the Bible. There's only God as the omnipotent, all-powerful one. Yes, there are forces at play, but they're creatures. They were created. They went astray as well. So he's a creature, which means this. He is not omniscient, which means knowing all things. He can't get in your head. He doesn't know what you're thinking. He's not omnipresent. What does that mean? He can only be one place at a time. So for us to say, Satan is messing with me. Uh, you're not that important. That's what I say about myself. I don't think I'm trafficking in that kind of, you know, act. Like, yes, maybe he's got demons. Maybe he's got like a little bitty ugly demon assigned to me. I don't know. But we know he has demons. They're sent out, but he can't be everywhere. Only one place. So let's ask the question again. How much credit should Satan get for when we do something like this? Peter seems to be meshing the two right together. Satan filled your heart. You contrived. So here it is. He can't do it unless you give him permission. So Peter's question can be understood to be this. Why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart. Otherwise, Peter would have said, Satan filled your heart. He overtook you. He did this awful thing through you. It's not what he says. He says, why? Why did it happen? Why did you allow your heart to be filled? What did you do to open the door? How close did you get to the fire? Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 6, 27, 28 can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. <laughs> no. You get close, you're going to get burned. So Ananias and Sapphira entertained the enemy somehow. Maybe it was the love of money. Maybe it was the need to get recognition from people. Whatever it was, they entertained the enemy and his temptation. They gave him a place at the table. He sat with them in their home. So back to the sin question, it wasn't the money. Verse four, you have lied to God. Ananias, you've lied. Premeditated lie. And so I just want to say this, like if there's anything you can grab on from this story, it's this, you cannot hide anything from the Lord. Not a thing. 
And eventually he's going to push and push and push for you to bring all of those things into the light. He sees the heart. He sees it all. He hates sin because he knows it'll kill you. It separates, it destroys. He doesn't want that for you. He's committed to the purity of his church and he's committed to you. So how does Peter know this? Is Ananias just a bad liar? He's got like cotton mouth and he's all fidgety and his eyes are shifting around and he's sweating and he's, is that what it is? He's just a bad liar. Your body will show that you're lying. That's how the whole lie detector test was invented because your body has a hard time holding conflicting narratives together. You can't project one thing and believe another thing in your mind. So that's one of the reasons that lie detectors work. Is that what it was? Was he just a bad liar? Peter gets mail from Jesus. Peter's reading his mail from Jesus. It's a word of knowledge, insight, prophetic understanding that Satan is involved here and Ananias and Sapphira have done this thing. Yes, Satan filled your heart, but you gave him a landing strip. You contrived, you lied. One of the things that I've, we have learned as parents, and I think this is just sometimes even just for friends or people that you know, is sometimes parents have this sixth sense that something's wrong. And it could just be in the way you're interacting with somebody. You're, you guys have that in relationships. You're talking with somebody and you're like, what's wrong with you? They're not their normal selves. They're quiet. They're defensive, whatever. But other times, you're not even around them. And I think the Lord does this. There's been plenty of times that I've had dreams about my kids. I wake up in the middle of the night. And you know what I do? I pray. I pray for them because I feel like the enemy's got his plans. And so sometimes I think the Lord will push, 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 but eventually he'll let it come out. He loves you too much to allow your, hen, your sin to stay hidden. So kids, actually everybody, listen to this. The Lord loves you too much to let your sin stay hidden. Might as well bring it out on your own. He'll increase the pressure. He'll create situations that will force you to, might as well do it now. The Lord says, come into the light. So counterattack has been discovered. Satan is involved, but Ananias must own his own part. So we think he can maybe say, okay, you got me. I'm sorry. I won't be doing that again. Everything's okay, right? Are we good? Can we just go back to doing church? Not exactly. Verse five. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down dead. It's clear as day. He breathed his last and great, yeah, yeah. Great fear came upon everybody. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. When's the last time that happened in church? Hey, uh, can we get some volunteers, the people who normally move the chairs? So-and-so just died. The Lord struck him down. We're going to need to carry him out and bury him in the yard, and then we'll get back to church. No, that doesn't, but that's what happened here in church. Take him out, bury him. After an interval of about three hours, what was happening in those three hours of church? You want some more coffee? Sure. <laughs> Got any cookies or peppermints or something? That's probably the most uncomfortable three hours of church ever. Sitting around, and I think. Maybe there were some friends of Sapphira that were just sitting there going, let's, you, t you, sh you, sh you, sh you should, you should go tell her. You Sapphira, sister, you better get your story straight. 
don't come to church. <laughs> Wanting to, they don't tell her though. Nobody tells her. She comes in after three hours. Peter says to her, verse eight, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And you know, people around the room were going, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> she says, yep, that was the amount. And they're like, oh no, oh no, this is the worst church day ever. She lies. And Peter says, how is it you've agreed to together with your husband to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They're going to carry you out as well. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church. This is the second time. And upon all who heard these things. So what is the mood in the room of this church service? Tension? Yeah, a little bit. People are like, man, why didn't I pick another church? Because there isn't another church. It's the only one. <laughs> and this one, there's people dying. I don't want to go to this church. But there's something else going on. Verse five gives us the clue. Great fear on people, on their hearts. That's what they're thinking about in church. They're afraid. And just in case we miss the message, it happens a second time. Fear was on the people and then we're going through this whole thing again and then there's probably even more fear. 10 says, she fell down as well, breathed her last. Wait a minute, did that just happen? How did they die? God struck them down, shut up for pretending to be good. Anybody ever pretend at church? <laughs> Me. Anybody ever struggle with money? Me. So, Lord, why so intense? In fact, even later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, you're going to have a guy who seems to have a worse offense. His name is Simon. He sees Peter and John pray for somebody, put their hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And he goes, hmm, hey, um, how much do you want for me to have that power? If I was, you know, remembering this church service and hearing that guy say that, I'd be like, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, you just stay right there. Just... Strike him down. Instead, Peter goes, why did you do that? Repent. And the guy goes, okay, I'm sorry. Why not for Ananias and Sapphira? What's going on? Miracles thus far in the book of Acts. Why are they happening? Do we experience miracles every day? But throughout the history of the church, can we always see people healed? No, we haven't. I mean, it's possible, but we, it's not happening the way it was then. What were those miracles for specifically? There were signs. We, we read that. There were signs. And what are signs for? To authenticate, to say, this is the real deal, folks. Jesus is alive. He's risen. These are his disciples. They have authority. God's word has authority. This is real. Guess what? The judgments of God are also a sign. Miracles are a sign and the judgments of God are a sign. And so what's happening here with Ananias and Sapphira? Why this moment? Why so intense? It's a sign. And people see it and they go, oh baby, this is legit. Let's all take a breath 
maybe take a pause from church for a week or two. I mean, you know they were thinking that. I don't know if I, whoo, right? That's intense. I mean, even imagine the next week or the next meeting. Hey, everybody. I mean, I know last time was pretty intense, but just relax. It'll be okay today. <laughs> That's great. No, there's, there's, some, there's a reverence to the moment. And honestly, here is the money of the passage. You see what I did there? This is the treasure and possibly an application for you and me. The response of the church is the most important part of the story. How they respond and how do they respond? Verse 5 and 11 give you two instances just in case you missed it. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the love of the Lord, the fear. When you read fear in the Bible, it's important to think of another word as well, awe. But it's also important not to leave the first word off. Because I guarantee you, these people weren't like, wow, what a significant awesome moment in church. Lord, we just love you and worship you and thank you for your ways are so good. Even though we just saw these two people die today. This is just awesome. No, they're afraid. <laughs> they're afraid for their own hearts and souls. And is this necessarily a bad thing? God is a consuming fire. If you think about just the physical properties of fire, it gives light. It warms us, it's energy, it's power, but it can also burn you. If you get too close. Anybody recognize this hymn by John Newton? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Hmm. And grace my fears relieved. Both held in tension. Grace taught me to fear. And grace relieved my... I think this story is a grace story. Even though it's intense, it's a grace story giving us an opportunity to respond the way they did. Some people like to let God off the hook in the Bible when it is difficult stories. And they would say, yeah, I don't know about that story. I don't know if that's real. Probably just parable or symbolic or something. I doubt they really die. I doubt God really judged people like that. That just doesn't seem like him. He's loving. They want to let him off the hook, kind of excise the stories from the Bible that seem too harsh. Don't do that. They're there for a reason. Ananias and Sapphira didn't die of natural causes, even though you can find several commentaries that will try to convince you that they did, that they both died of cardiac arrest due to stress from being called out and shamed. On the same day, they both have those, come on. No, God killed them for their sin, period. We must wrestle with the reality of that truth and not try to soften it up. So we're going to finish with some questions. Same questions that Peter asked Ananias. He implied in a lot of ways. They're the why questions. They ran out of time to answer. We haven't. We still have time to answer. What does the word of God ask of us today? Do we fear him and worship him? Do we believe all this is just a religious Sunday social club or does it deal in eternal matters of life and death? What is my level of commitment to him? 
Am I being authentic and real? Does he have the real me when I come in here? Is there anything hidden in my life? Anything covered up or kept back from him? Do I believe that Jesus has an exclusive right to my life? Every part of my life. Do I believe that Jesus will judge the earth and every soul according to his righteousness? And here's the question that hits me the most. How much of my heart does Jesus have? How much of your heart does he have? If you intend to only give part of your heart to Jesus and hold back part of it, and you bring that forgery into church every week, you're an imposter. Eventually, you will be found out, not by us, but by him, by him. So if you only give Jesus a portion of your life, it's better to keep it. Don't go to church. Keep it. You can't give him half. But may I encourage you to give it all to him? All of you. There are many, many who have gone before us that would tell you one thing when they got to meet him. He is worth it. I don't know if you noticed on our announcement bumper, and uh, I know that we kind of refresh these things from time to time, but one clip, I hope that they keep in there, and you probably saw it right at the beginning, is there's a, one of those little frames of people walking around in the lobby, and there's a guy with a cup of coffee who kind of sticks his head in like that, Al Jarvanen. Two nights ago, he went home. And he would tell you he's worth it. I got to visit him a couple of weeks ago in the hospital and I went to minister to him and he really ended up ministering to me. He chatted me up about Jesus and the Bible. <laughs> he's just going to town. He's in, the, he's in the hospital bed and he's just telling me about being faithful to Jesus and faithful to my family and as a pastor and keep telling people and he just like scripture just coming out of him. And I think Al stepped into eternity through the veil face to face, and I believe he heard, well done, my son. Well done, my friend. You gave all of yourself to me. You should do the same. So I'm gonna invite two groups up. Uh, one is a few of the elders from the board and the worship team, because this is my last sermon until the end of the summer. I'm going on sabbatical. So they're gonna come up and pray for me. And uh, then we'll sing one more song together.